Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. We are back for another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky, here with my friend and co-host, Jamie Wagner. Jamie, awesome to be here with you. Something, I know I've said this before, but the one of the best parts of my week is getting to have our conversations that we record and share out to the Eyes Up Mindset family. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here as well. I think every time we do this, it's an opportunity for us to push each other, to grow each other. And that's the goal of all of this. It's the goal of the interactions we have on social media. It's the goal of the conversations we have on the podcast. And it's the goal of of our business more generally to say, how do we push each other? How do we make each other better? How do we find each other's best as often as possible? And that's, that's what this is for me. Um, and preparing for the podcast, that's something that the listeners don't get to be a part of is, is also doing that. Um, the conversations we have that prepare us to be in the right space to have these sort of conversations are, are super important to me and my personal growth. And I hope that, uh, you know, listeners are finding people to do that with as well. Yeah. Connection and community. I mean, those are things that we talk about a lot and that are, are really valuable to us and, and certainly pertinent to this discussion that we have today with Christine Nichols, who's the assistant executive director at the Fred Wells Tennis and Education Center. That's a big title. But um, so that's a tennis and education center based out of Minneapolis. They serve a bunch of different communities there. Just really personally challenged by kind of her message today and her bringing the topic to us to, to even bring forward was something that was a little bit uncomfortable. But again, what we're trying to do with, with Eyes Up is be a little bit uncomfortable so we can move forward. Absolutely. I think her bringing the topic to hand was incredibly important and something I'm really grateful for because it made the two of us have challenging conversations just in our personal relationship, let alone in our relationship to our business and to our community and as leaders and coaches. And I think drawing attention to a place that we might feel uncomfortable in is good. Like it's a great thing to, to have these important meaningful discussions and then to find a way to move and to take action as a result. Yeah. And I, I, this is just a continuation of several weeks of self-awareness, asking difficult questions. And now we get to let's look at what our blind spots are, what our biases are that prevent us from performing at a high level, but also how does that impact the people that we're leading or that we are in community with and how does that hinder their performance and their opportunities? So certainly an awesome challenge and an awesome conversation. Uh, you guys are certainly going to enjoy it and, and be challenged by it. So without further ado, Christine Nichols. Christine, welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset podcast. Awesome to have you here today. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about where you're at these days, where you're working, what, are you, what you're up to. Yeah, so I work for the Fred Wells Tennis and Education Center, otherwise affectionately known as the Fort. 
We are a public indoor tennis facility and a tennis-based youth development nonprofit that's located near the border of Minneapolis and St. Paul. So I am the assistant executive director and director of education and partnerships, which is a pretty long title, but the main responsibilities are overseeing our free outreach programming, as well as our marketing and fund development efforts. I have known you for a long time, Christine. Um, and I knew you in a previous life. You used to work for the USTA, United States Tennis Association, and had tons of opportunities to continue to grow your career. Not that you haven't grown your career in your current role, but what most people would say, you know, climb the, climb the ladder or grow into more responsibilities. And you made the decision at some point to go work for a nonprofit. Tell us a little bit about how you got to that decision or why you decided to do that. Um, some of the factors that contributed to that. It's a little bit backwards compared to how a lot of people approach it, where you work in the local community and then you, you go national and you go up. But uh, I really loved and appreciated my time with the USGA and be able and the opportunity to work for a national governing body that's so dedicated to growing the sport at the local level, where I found the most purpose was when I was working with what are called National Junior Tennis and Learning Chapters, or NJTLs, that are focused really intentionally on breaking down barriers to participation and ensuring that underrepresented youth not only have the opportunity to get introduced to the game, but to really find their place within it and use it as a vehicle for positive youth development and personal growth. So the Ford is an NJTL chapter that I had been working with closely for many, many years. And it's an organization that has such a unique small town vibe to it, which just feels like home for me. So when an opportunity presented itself to work more directly with enhancing the lives of young people through sport and connecting them with a supportive community that I love so much, it was just something that I couldn't pass up. Talk a little bit about the scope of kind of the organization. How many people do you guys serve? What communities, you know, how many employees, that sort of thing? Yeah, so our organizations, we operate nine indoor tennis courts. So we have a pretty large staff of about 25 people that work throughout the organization, both on the public tennis facility, kind of more fee-based side, as well as what we call our free tennis works outreach program. And Tennis Works serves about a thousand youth every year through free programming that combines tennis as well as social emotional skill development and some life skills. In the era of COVID, we have pivoted. So some of our programs that were more broad exposure, so like free drop-in tennis on Friday nights for middle school and high school kids that reached a lot of kids but that was a high energy like youth driven space that it's really hard to keep social distancing and some different um, parameters or th like safety precautions that you need in place so since march we have really been focused on students that were in our after school programs we have about 75 families that we really know those kids they're with us a couple times a week throughout the year I said a thousand, that's a broad number, that's all of our programs, but we really try to go deep with our relationships more than broad. So especially since last March, we've really been dialing in on a smaller number of students and going deeper. 
one comment. It's safe to say that, like you said, you go deeper. It's, it's much more than tennis lessons or providing tennis lessons. It's, it's about building relationships, building community, which is what, you know, our passion is too. And in the lens of sports and mindset and, and, and who we choose to engage with as well. Yeah. Tennis is just the vehicle, right? It's the connector. It's how you're part of a supportive community. I love sports. That's why I've been involved in it as a, an avenue for personal growth. So you can get all the different experiences. My, my first leadership position, I, you could say was probably being a captain of a high school team, <laughs> you know, like there's so much to learn within it. But beyond that, I think it's just the social connections and having more people rooting for you and helping you out. Um, and that's where, that's where the beauty is. I think John touched on something really important. We have this business that is about connecting a community of people that desire to grow and get better and to change the way that we think about getting better. I think one of the things that we as coaches, leaders, community members might struggle with at times is what we don't think about the things that we ignore or that we have some blind spots around, maybe some bias even that we bring to our practices, to our, and your passion clearly is working around some of those things and helping to create more inclusive environments that, that go beyond some of these blind spots. How do we, somebody's listening out there and going, how do I break down some of these barriers that I don't see because I want to, come out here and win, you know, and that as coaches, that's sometimes what our focus is. I want to build these athletes in such a way that they can do the scheme, they can do the skill and that's going to help us win. But what are we missing as coaches that might help us win that might help us grow people and relationships and communities? There's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, so I think a first step for someone listening is just to uh, recognize that we all do have blind spots. We all do have implicit biases. Um, and we have to be willing to do the work to educate ourselves and be open to feedback and personal reflection. Uh, so many times I think programs get designed based on the life experience and the perspective of the coaches or the administrators. And they put it out there. And then they kind of wonder why they don't have a super diverse group of participants. And that's where you have to take a step back and reflect on the opportunity gap or, I mean, first it's access. So are your programs responsive to the needs of the broader community, whether it's cost, transportation, can they navigate the sign up process, <laughs> the schedule? Is language a barrier? I mean, there's so many different ways to look at your program through an equity lens to make sure that it's accessible. And then the second piece of that is if they do get to your program and they sign up, how do you ensure that they have a positive experience and that it's safe and it's supportive and they don't feel like an outsider and they can really be their full self within that program? And sometimes it's within that, that there's a little bit of a culture clash or that's where some blind spots or you might inadvertently be kind of telling those kids that this isn't a place for them when that's not your intention. 
you have any personal experience with something like that where you've put something out there as a set of expectations and maybe after the fact realized probably created an expectation that wasn't fair to these athletes or these young people? The pandemic is just shining such a bright light on some inequities within our society. So one example of that uh, was this past spring. We were seeing our kids twice a week and then all of a sudden schools pivoted, went into distance learning. We had stay-at-home orders. So as coaches, we immediately started mailing home like personal notes to students, making sure that they knew that we were still thinking about them and wanted to share some insight into our lives and how we were staying healthy, physically, emotionally. So, so many of us wrote about like taking long walks. And I even joined a challenge to run or walk a hundred miles in 30 days. So even if I wasn't going out to restaurants or meeting up with people, I was still out of my house in fresh air quite a bit. And then a few weeks later, we were able to start virtual check-ins with our students through the school partners and could really find out about what their lives had looked like since the stay-at-home order began. And so many of them hadn't left their homes. So while I was out running and walking every single day and talking about how that was so good for my physical and mental health, they were cooped up in tight spaces indoors for a number of very valid reasons centered around their safety. So it was like, whoa, like wake up call. Let's talk about self-care. Let's talk about ways to still stay fit, but let's talk about things that you can do inside and that you don't need a lot of equipment for. And so just needing to pivot because with like their reality, during the stay-at-home order was so different than, than what my reality was. I had a similar experience, not with COVID or a worldwide pandemic, but when I was in Colorado and coaching football, I lived in Frisco, Colorado, Summit County, which is a fairly diverse part of Colorado in terms of um, socioeconomic, uh, racial language barriers. You talked about transportation, you talked about access. And we always wondered like, okay, we have different groups of kids that engage, but then we have this, our Spanish speaking kids typically would struggle more. One, I didn't speak Spanish, but also culturally they had different expectations at home, you know? So sometimes uh, my expectation was, Hey, you need to communicate with me directly. You need to be on at practice on time all the time. You need to be at every practice. And like you said, I, that, because that's what I value and, and that's my lens. Now, I inadvertently was putting demands on them that sometimes they couldn't even meet because some of those kids would come back to me and say, well, I have a three-year-old sister at home and I had to go home and babysit because my parents were both working. Like I had no choice. So I, I had put kids into a position where now they're choosing between disappointing me or disappointing their parents. Not because I knew that, but just because I hadn't thought about that. And Jamie, you talked about blind spots. That certainly was a blind spot for me and, and something that I still think about. Um, how, how could I have done that differently? How could I have impacted some of those communities and those families in, in, a, in a bigger way? I had a very similar experience when we pivoted to uh, 
going virtual this spring with our Fearlessly Girl Middle School group, where I had pulled our son from daycare during that, that stay-at-home time. So I was trying to juggle with my husband, keeping up with work and trying to keep a increasingly like mobile infant like safe and engaged and I would join these check-ins and two of the girls would almost always have a younger sibling with them <laughs> giving the bottle coming back for conversation I mean, they were juggling the same stresses as I was and I'm an adult they're an eighth grader so that was almost like an opportunity to see more into their home when we had to do the virtual check-ins and they could see into our lives more too. So now that we're back to doing some more in-person, just I have such a greater appreciation for everything that they're juggling. And you don't need to lower expectations, but you need to provide space for conversation. So if they can't make it there all the time or they're going to be late, that the trust is there so you can have a conversation and say, well, yeah, like we're supporting you. We want you to be the best sister and, and daughter that you can be too and not make it seem like you're either letting your teammates down or you're letting your family down. Well, I think back to how many times as a coach I have said or I've heard coaches say or leaders say, hey, when you're at practice or when you're at a game, like just, just be here right? Like this is your only thing that matters is right here, right now. What's well, easy to say when like the expectations aren't to be in some cases, be an adult, be a parent, be a caretaker, or to be a breadwinner, to, to provide financially sometimes for your family. You know, so I th again, I think back to saying that and it's like, oh yeah, just be here right now. This is the most important thing. Well, boy, I couldn't be further from the truth from, for some of those kids. And, and, um, it's, it's challenging for sure. Well, and that, that ties into kind of a broader reckoning that our nation I think is having right now at this current moment, because you're seeing professional athletes and sports leagues, like taking a, a pause in play to raise awareness around racial injustices and I'm hearing so loud and clear, please see us as people first and athletes second. Like, listen to us, respect our voices, respect the voices of our communities that we're trying to lift up through the platform that we have. Because everyone has lives off the court or outside of their professional lives. And we have to appreciate how interwoven that is and people perform their best when they feel safe and supported <laughs> and they can be their their full selves and um, that's just such a critical piece i think is to see people as people first have the humanity at the center lead with empathy and then work from that as kind of your center and john just said be here be here. This is the most important thing. How, you know, what these athletes are saying is this is not the most important thing right now. I get paid a lot of money to do this thing and I'm willing to forego that because there's something more important happening in our communities, 
in my home in, because they're having conversations with their children that are difficult, that are challenging, that I can't imagine needing to have. And there's more important things than playing a game sometime. And I think we need to pull back in our personal lives as well to get those things in order um, so that we can bring our best as coaches. We want people to see us from our humanity. We want people to know and empathize with the things that we're struggling with. We have to give that same sort of compassion and empathy to the people we interact with on a daily basis and, and start with, I see you and I hear your struggle. How can I help? And so much, well, a common theme that I've heard during this time when I've been talking to people of color within my network, when we're having conversations about this is they feel like they've been listened to, but not heard which goes to what you were just saying. And I think we really need to, when someone opens up to us about a personal experience that they've had, which takes a lot of emotional energy to do, and they're putting themselves in a vulnerable position, we have to believe them. And just because it's not part of our lived experience doesn't mean that it's not valid. And it's our responsibility to sit in the discomfort and evaluate how we can move the conversation forward. Because if they're bringing it up, it's because that they care. And if they're bringing it up to you personally, it probably means that there's some trust there and you need to honor that trust. I mean, they want to work with you to help make the experience better and the environment better. That's an opportunity that's not something to get defensive about. It's let's dive deeper. Like I want to learn more because once you're aware of a blind spot, that's a positive thing, right? Cause then you don't do it again. <laughs> and again, we all have them. We're not bad people. If you have a blind spot, it's do you take ownership of it to learn from it? Well, I think Christine, this conversation not only societally comes at an incredibly opportune time, but just in our podcast progression, we spent a few weeks talking with people in sports psychology about self-awareness, which is identifying blind spots and biases. And then we talked about just Jamie and I had a conversation about asking ourselves difficult questions and wrestling with questions in our own personal lives that challenge us and identifying why we aren't willing to go there. Um, and, and sitting in that discomfort, like you said. And then our last conversation um, was with Holly Hoffman. She was on Survivor and she talked about, you know, not just surviving, but thriving and taking opportunities to grow into those places um, of discomfort. It leads me to a question, John. It leads me to this. What are our next steps? Like, how do we move beyond. And at times we have to be just focused on listening and hearing and understanding that someone is trying to survive a very challenging situation mentally, physically, potentially. And if that's the case, obviously we as coaches need to say something and do something and take action. But that emotional survival that some of these kids and some of our coworkers, some of our peers and community members are trying to deal with how do we equip ourselves to take a next step? I think 
that's one of the things in your role is something you have to interact with and give parents, teachers, community members, coaches, skills, and how do, how do we go there? How do we help when, you know, it needs to go beyond listening and making change in our programs, in our communities, in our schools to see and hear and feel people's emotional discomfort, their physical discomfort, whatever it might be. What do we do? Well, I'm going to take that two different ways. So first, just in, if you're interacting with a, a student, like there's some great resources out there around trauma-informed coaching and working with marginalized communities. So there is a lot out there that we can dedicate ourselves to learning and equipping um, and training staff, volunteers, people in roles that are centered around supporting youth. Um, Up to Us Sports is, is one organization that does a lot of that. The second piece or a different direction that I'll go with the question is we have to look internally too in the role that we play in this and so many times especially when we're talking about racial inequities I think it's placed on well people of color hold that race discussion when no like white's a race too like our society is centered around whiteness in many ways within our schools, our institutions, our workplaces, in pop culture. We have a role in this, we as in white people. (laughs) And we need to be active in that space of educating ourselves, but the burden needs to be within people that hold power in different spaces and influence. So it has to be a team effort and we have to find opportunities where we can have meaningful dialogue. And I think that starts with people that are just within your immediate sphere of influence. I've done so much reflection, especially over the last few months. Three of our school partners are located within 15 blocks of where George Floyd was murdered. Our students live in neighborhoods that were deeply affected by it. So I've been living in this especially emotional space these last few months and just challenging myself to look for opportunities that I can evolve and grow has led to identifying things here within my current role. It's led to me just following different organizations that are led by people of color in my own community that's been insightful. So I, I read White Fragility. I mean, like there are things that we can do that educate ourselves so that we feel equipped to make little changes that lead to big changes. You said something that I think resonates with me. You talked about leaders and people of influence having these conversations regardless of race, regardless of circumstance, that we need to go and dig and look in ourselves. And we started a leadership council in my last school. And one of the things we looked for specifically was students that might not identify as leaders, but have influence. And one of the things we came to in our conversations continuously is, man, so many of these kids don't realize that they have influence. And I think you might not view yourself or have a role or a title as a leader in your community or your workplace or whatever, but you have influence. 
And so really the call isn't just for leaders and those with influence. It's for all of us because we all influence other people in some way, shape or form. It's, it's a, it's a call for all of us to ask those difficult questions. We just had a conversation about around things that are really potentially uncomfortable for us and that lead us to growth. And there are so many amazing resources that we have been blind to that are now coming to the foreground because of the current moment. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think that's such an amazing call. And some people might say, I don't have influence. I'm not a leader. You do, (laughs) period, you do. And it, it might not be on the number of people you want to influence, but you have influence. And uh, that would be my challenge to anybody that's going to engage in this conversation is we have to look within and become aware of what we carry and what we hold and um, how, we, how we grow through it. So I, I want to go back to one thing you said, Christine, because I, I thought what resonated with me was you said, people want to be heard, not just listened to, but to be heard. And I think, again, I'm going to go back to my own personal experience as a coach and trying to start my own program, right? And it's built around what I value and what I see. And when it didn't go well at times, I was listening or I tried to listen, but I don't think I ever heard people say, hey, this is, a, this is an issue for us. Whether it was, we're going to, uh, practice every Friday morning on game days. You got to get here at six thirty in the morning. Figure it out. Like if you're a starter, you better be here, right? And I, I just think again, that's a blind spot for me. And I think so many coaches aren't willing to look within themselves. I think another example, and this is also current, is the situation with Iowa football and the way that athletes were being treated there or uh, not allowed to uh, be themselves. I think is the thing that I heard out of a lot of that. And I I think the thing that I'm still wrestling with in this conversation, and I know that we've had parts of these conversations off, off air. So, but is how do I reconcile what I think that I value and is important to me as a coach or as a leader and still hear people and what they're experiencing and, and, and try to include them. I don't know if that makes sense Mm -hmm. or not, but it's, it's like, Yeah, my take would be just we need to expand who has a voice and have more collective team agreements and setting those expectations and and more empower young people to help with the creation of that culture, that team culture and what it is. Um, So many times there's so much code switching that's going on as kids try to fit into um, a certain system or a certain culture where if they were part of helping create it, then it's going to be more free flowing and people will feel more at ease and more invested because um, they're, they also have a say in how things are run and what those expectations are. And hopefully there's enough trust there. So when blind spots open, Occur, which they will, it can kind of be addressed right away. I think we're seeing a lot of cases like the Iowa football program where maybe it's even alumni that are like, oh yeah, this was my experience there. And you need to 
receive the feedback whenever it occurs, but ideally it occurs in a more of a timely manner and there's that trust there and everyone feels empowered. Like you just said it, it comes back to relationships, right? We have to create relationships individually with our communities, within our communities in order to do any of this work. And how do you do that? You listen. You directed us to the Aspen Institute, which you have used and worked with. And one of their kind of checkpoints for coaches to think about is to focus on things like autonomy and learning and effort rather than the pieces that so many of us want to control, right? We want to, I want to focus on these little details because we think they matter. And one of the things in reading some of their resources, it was just like what you're saying by allowing student input or uh, cultural input, group input is to allow autonomy that gives them some sense of empowerment. When then we focus on effort and how much effort they're giving, they feel in control of that effort and we praise and give conscious awareness of that sort of thing. We now build in some of the skills that are that autonomous, powerful feeling sort of skills, because it's not about, did I wear the right shirt or tie? It's, I gave great effort today and my coaches praised that. And now they've actually asked for my opinion. And so I'm a little bit autonomous about how do I give feedback? And I think that Aspen Institute resource, I spent a ton of time kind of combing it because it's just, that would be a, a great recommendation that you gave us that I would encourage other people to check out as well. Um, but what can we learn? How can we create autonomy? And can we focus on things like effort rather than the pieces of the culture that we think are important or that embody our experience? And those pieces also translate so well to other aspects of their life, like giving full effort and seeing that when you put in effort, great things can happen or you grow. Um, so it's really cool to help kids recognize those aspects of it other than, oh yeah, we won today or we lost today or I hit a great forehand today. <laughs> I was like, well, what went into those outcomes that you can draw attention to? Because later when they encounter another situation, that might be similar, but in a different aspect of their life, they can draw back on that experience. No, I was just going to say, we, in working with teams or organizations, we talk about process versus outcome all the time. And, and that's a, that's just a, an example, Jamie. And when I heard you talking about those things, it's like, that's the process, right? And as coaches, we talk about that all the time. As leaders, we talk about that all the time, but, and, and so many of our conversations we, we can do this in parts of our life and then in other areas, we, then we just want to focus on the outcomes again, you know? <laughs> and so it's, it's a continuous process of how do we find these areas where we're struggling, ask these difficult questions, engage with them, get feedback, listen to others and build relationships. Boy, there's a lot in there. I just said, that's uh, really convicting though. <laughs> and really well, hard. <laughs> Well, and I think like, I mean, the beauty of sport, in my opinion, why I get so excited about it is there's so much tangible experience within learning how to play a sport that helps you develop that growth mindset that shows you like, oh, if I follow these steps and I like dedicate myself 
I can get better. Like, <laughs> and that will give you the confidence to try something new in other areas of your life or to stick with it. Sport is just a little microcosm of a broader society. And it's such a great vehicle for building community, <laughs> for um, being introduced to people that you might not otherwise cross paths with, to try on different roles within a team, to tackle different approaches to learning a new skill. So it's easy to ramble with this because you get so excited about like the power within it. Yeah, no question. And that's why we've been involved with it our whole lives. You know, I mean, I've been playing some sort of sport since the day I could move probably. Um, that was certainly influenced by my upbringing, my background, but at some point I fell in love with the process of growing and getting better. And hence why we have a, a business and a podcast around those two principles, two things that have convicted me big time recently. Um, James Clear, author of Atomic Habits, Chant has a newsletter that he said, are you moving or are you acting? So the difference between movement and action movement is I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to like, I'm going to create some movement, but action creates outcome. Action is a part of the process. Movement is just wishful thinking in some ways. And so to me, that's a piece of wisdom that I need to take to heart in some of these areas is I'm willing to talk about it. I'm willing to have these conversations and these difficult conversations, but how do I take action? And then the second thing that I just heard recently on a podcast, the next big idea podcast was this idea of transcendence. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs is incomplete and Maslow kind of said it. And that's the point of this episode of the podcast is yes, self-actualization is a cool thing. Um, and it's awesome, but we need to transcend that and think about others and engaging with others. So how do we take action to transcend our personal experience, our personal belief system, our personal biases and our blind spots to take action for other people? How do we create and transcend ourselves to give away to our communities? That's two pieces that have just a hundred percent convicted me recently. Is there anything that you personally are interacting with book podcast, you know, you talked that you read white fragility, some of these people of color that you've been experiencing or organizations that you feel like have grown your personal experience and lens that might be of use for others. Yeah. I mean, first you, you drew attention to the Aspen Institute. So it's specifically the Aspen Institute's project play initiative, which is focused around the role that sport plays in building healthy communities. There's such a wealth of, information and they have specific resources for parents for coaches for administrators um, and the part that i get excited about is all the research around access and opportunity gaps so that you can inform decision making and it also helps you inform others to start building these coalitions to dedicate resources toward solutions around just further educating myself around systemic racism and all of that. There's so much out there right now. I mean, the, well, first we want to start with listening to professional athletes that do have a platform, but they have personal experiences or lifting up the experiences of others. Just sit back, read, reflect, um, take advantage of, 
their willingness to to share um, and that's at a very public visible level so that's that's easier Ho hopefully you can do that um, with people closer to you as well but the New York Times created the 1619 project that was around just slavery and reconstruction and I mean it's a multi-dimensional kind of project with podcasts and documentaries and things tied to it so that's a great place I mean if you're interested and you just start looking you're going to go down a rabbit hole and you're going to find so much that you can reflect on and and grow from well and I think again to re reference a recent conversation we had it's it's about having opportunities and then being willing to take that next step or walk through that door like Holly talked about. And, and I think that's where hopefully, I mean, there's, everyone is at that door right now. It's wide open. You said there's so much stuff out there. What are you willing to engage with? What are you willing to challenge yourself with? And for some people it might be a little bit and some people it might be a little bit more, hopefully it's a little bit more, you know, and, and you can challenge and grow yourself and, and then grow the people around you as well. Little ripples equal big action. Well, we appreciate you coming on. It's certainly a challenging, I know we, we talked ahead of time, this was going to be a challenge for all of us, but it was also going to grow us all. So appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story and, and kind of your experiences. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Christine challenges us to seek out the blind spots in our lives and the biases that we have that impact not only our own performance, but the performance of our athletes, our employees, and our communities. In order to do this, we must be willing to educate ourselves, to listen, and to make sure that people are being heard. I shared my story that I don't know that I always heard my athletes and my parents when I was coaching football in Colorado. That's something that I'm working on. What are you willing to work on or identify as a blind spot in your own life? The process is the same whether we're talking about the larger societal conversation that we just had or your situations at work or in your relationships. We all have things that get in the way. So once you identify those things and are willing to learn more about them, the challenge is, are you going to move or are you going to act? Jamie talked about this concept of movement. We create energy around something, an idea. We talk about it, but we don't act. Are you willing to take that next step and act in order to bring awareness to those blind spots and start moving forward? And as always, live eyes up.